information to the effect that Russia has also sent a colony of volunteer settlers to Oregon. Good Lord, how many of these so-called volunteers are there, Mr. President? The original party consisted of about 250 settlers, Scott. Russians will be lucky if as many as 100 survive a journey of that length, sir. I know. Van Buren nodded gravely. And even if they reach Oregon, it will be a terrible strain for the Russians to send them supplies and reinforcements. We have the natural advantage. All the same, the Russian settlers, if they ever succeed in reaching Oregon, will create complications and problems for our own settlers. I have confidence in Lieutenant Colonel Blake and the civilian leaders of our wagon train, Mr. President. So do I, Van Buren said. But the stakes are so high in the Pacific Northwest that I stay awake nights. Our people will need to be more than courageous, more than determined, more than clever if they're going to win and keep Oregon. Spring came late to the upper reaches of the Rocky Mountains, but now the wagon train was on the move again after spending the bitter winter at a place they had called Little Valley, in the trackless wilderness of the Wyoming country. More than five hundred strong, these pioneer men and women, and even their small children, knew they were making history. They were ordinary people, these hardy, trail-stained travelers, and that was what made their feat remarkable. All were conscious of having survived natural catastrophes, vicious Indian attacks and internal feuds, as well as the efforts of agents employed by the governments of Great Britain and Russia to force them to turn back. The stakes, as every member of the company had learned, were enormous. Oregon was a vast land where there were almost limitless forests. The land was fertile, and fish and game were abundant. The journey, financed by the United States government, with the aid of Colonel John Jacob Astor and others who had become wealthy through the Pacific fur trade, held the promise that every householder would be given a free tract of six hundred acres, property that would enable those willing to work to live in comfort and dignity. Looming high above them on all sides were majestic, soaring peaks, the thick snow that crowned them a reminder of recent perils. But the sun, shining in a brilliant cloudless sky, was actually hot, one of the miracles of the mountains, so great coats and knitted hats were shed. Best of all, as they well knew, they were approaching a cut in the solid wall of the Rockies known as the South Pass. When they reached the far side, they would have crossed the Continental Divide and would know for certain that the welcoming shores of the Pacific lay ahead. After all that had happened on their almost interminable journey, that knowledge was almost too good to be true. At the head of the caravan, as always, mounted on his stallion, was the former mountain man Michael Holt, known to his companions as Whip. Lean and sinewy, familiar with every inch of this desolate wilderness, he was a natural leader, the man to whom everyone in the company instinctively turned in a time of crisis. Early that morning he had sent his scouts fanning out ahead of the column, a maneuver that had become routine, and riding incessantly up and down the line, reporting to him regularly, were the monitors who prevented wagons from straggling, protected the rear, and called a halt whenever a wagon broke down. The place of honor at the head of the caravan was held, as it had been from the start of the march on Long Island, by a young, exceptionally pretty, blue-eyed blonde, Kathy Van Isle Blake, whose romance with Whip, everyone had been certain, would lead to marriage. To the surprise of the entire company, however, Kathy had exercised her woman's prerogative, 
and during the winter had married Lieutenant Colonel Leland Blake of the United States Army. Watching her husband as he rode his gelding, coordinating the efforts of the monitors, Kathy returned his waves and warm smiles. He looked handsome and lithe in the buckskins that, on the trail, he preferred to his uniform, and Kathy knew he deserved the universal respect and admiration he had earned. Then why did she feel an occasional twinge of uneasiness? Surely her marriage was solid, and she knew Lee loved her. Kathy Van Isle Blake, she told herself aloud, stop being such a romantic adolescent idiot. The truth of the matter was that she found herself looking ahead at Whip and allowing her gaze to linger on him. Well, she could have had him if she had wanted him, but she had elected to marry Lee instead. Very well. Leave well enough alone and put Whip out of your mind. Besides, he's married now, too, although I still can't believe it.